So there's somebody that I've been trying to get to speak in the bridge for probably the last, at least the last two years. And every time I ask him, it's like, I oh, mean, I'd love to, but I'd love to, but I've got these things, these other things going on. I've, I'd love to, but it's really busy. I'd love to, but I'm, I'm preaching in a Southern ministry. I'd love to, but I'd love to, but well, this week, last week, I finally wore him down and, uh, he is uh, not somebody foreign to preaching in our church. He uh, oversees our edge ministry, soon to oversee our narrow ministry. And uh, he is one of your peers, but he is definitely qualified to come and open up God's word with us tonight. He will be continuing in Hebrew. So please welcome up Nathan Jovic. Jovic. Welcome, Nathan. I think it's Jovichin, and I know it's a hard last name. I get it. People have butchered it a lot. It's an honor uh, to be able to preach um, in the place of Pastor BJ, such a gifted preacher, gifted man. Sad to lose him um, as he goes, not leaves, off to Texas, but honored to be able to open up the word with you. And it was interesting even how in the announcements it talked about the upcoming bridge retreat. And at the last bridge retreat, remember driving in different people's cars, and over the years, I've driven with a bunch of different people, and I've kind of noticed over the years that there are two extremes when it comes to driving. Let's see which extreme you might fall under, maybe somewhere in the middle. Extreme number one are the people who go like 10 to 15 miles an hour below the speed limit. So taking their time, they're cruising, super slow, I engage with them all the time because I live by Leisure World over here, and it's all these old people just driving, and it's like, come on, like, we're not even going the speed limit. Let's speed it up a little bit. Going really, really chill. They're like, don't rush me. I'm not in a rush. The other end of the spectrum, you have the people who drive as if their life depends on getting as quick as they can from point A to point B, as fast as they can. They're swerving ahead of people, going in the left lane just to pass, like, one other person. It's like, what did that really like cost you all that extra energy just to get ahead of them? It's like, no, it was worth it. If I save like 0.1 seconds, if I save one second just getting there, like it's absolutely worth it. I bet some of you people definitely fall in that, that second category. I probably fall under the first, I've been told. So, um, but maybe you're somewhere in the middle. You're like, okay, I don't go too fast. I don't go too slow. I'm somewhere in the middle. And there's these gradations when it comes to driving differences on speed and manner of driving. When the Bible talks about the Christian life, it talks about it as if we are on a journey, as if we are on a road. And this Christian journey, this Christian walk is not in a sense of we are like tourists going out from one location, checking out something else and bringing, going back to the same location. It's rather we are pioneers traveling on a way, going in one direction, not coming back to where we begin. And the end goal where we are traveling is to hopefully one day be with Christ, ending in glorification. We are made perfect in Christ. That is the end goal. And as we are here living on this life, those of us who can call ourselves Christians that, yes, I am right with God. I have been saved by what Christ has done for me. We are all a part of this journey, all a part of this travel, all a part of this race. And I want us to not be people who maybe you drive like on cruise control and keeping it chill. I want us to drive aggressively. I want us to do this journey aggressively. As we go through the Christian life, let's not just cruise and take it as it comes. Let's go as hard as we can. Push ourselves to grow as Christ has called us to do. Let us be fervent in that. I don't want us to, at the end of our lives, look back and say, I wish I did more for Christ. 
I wish I did more for his kingdom. I wish I spent less time trying to build up earthly treasures, less time trying to promote my own agenda, and rather, man, I wish I just spent more time growing in holiness, growing in the image of Christ, doing more to advance his kingdom. I want us, whether we are people who say, yeah, I'm running fast, I'm going fast, I'm, I'm like the swerving on the, on, the, on the driveway, swerving on the roads, yes, that's what I'm doing, I'm running this race well. But if you're in cruise control, I want us to kick it up to the next gear. I want us to put the pedal to the metal. And that's what I think the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 would want us to do. Open up your Bibles there. Hebrews chapter 12 encourage us to run this Christian race well and to do it with excitement, with energy, and not to be in cruise control. Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 1, it says this, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Pastor PJ last week preached on that, all the people through the Old Testament who lived by faith, lived according to what God wanted them to do, obedient. Because of all these witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That Christian life that we're on, let's not have anything hold us back, anything hinder, anything that pulls us aside from saying, I'm all in on doing what Christ wants me to do, growing in Christ, promoting his kingdom. Well, how do we do that? Verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him, think about him, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If our end goal is to be in heaven, our end goal is to be made perfect in Christ, while we are here living on this earth, once we have been saved, this process of sanctification takes place where we continue to be conformed into the image of his son. And we're not to sit back in cruise control and say, well, I'm just gonna rest here. I'm just gonna chill. I'm saved. So that means I'm all good. I don't need to do anything else. No, because God has saved you, he's given you good works for you to walk into. We need to be people who pursue Christ's likeness aggressively. We need to pursue after this. This isn't your... Point number one, maybe right now for point number one. This is kind of the overarching theme. Our goal is to pursue Christ-likeness aggressively. Not chill back, not relax, go aggressive at it. Some people might object to that, say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right with God. I just simply need to rest in what Jesus has done for me. I'm not trying to earn God's favor. Forget all this legalism of trying to do these works to please God. I just need to rest in Christ. I don't need to work. Well, I think oftentimes that mindset can come into our, our heads when we misunderstand salvation and we try to apply salvation over into our sanctification. When it comes to salvation, us being made right with God, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It is simply a gift of God. Scholars like to use this word monergistic, that salvation is monergistic, meaning it's by God alone. But when it comes to sanctification, they use this word called synergistic, which it is our work and also God working together as we grow in Christ once we are saved. We're not to sit back and say, oh, I'm good. Sit back and say, 
oh, I've made it. I've made it to the peak of where I can be as a Christian. No, God saved you, and he's laid out these works for you to walk in. Scripture bears that out. Philippians 2, 12, 13 says that we are to live out our salvation. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So once we have been made right with God, then we are called to live out our salvation. Yes, God is the one who causes us to grow in him, but we are called to give an effort. We are called to pursue Christ-likeness, to grow in that. Is it possible for us to grow in it without Christ? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But we are called to put an effort in that. 1 Timothy 6.12 says we are to fight the good fight. Talking about that effort, that energy that we are to put out in as Christians. 2 Timothy 2.22, pursue righteousness. 1 Peter 1.16, we're called to be holy. 2 Peter 1.5-8 says we are to supplement our faith. Build on it with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. We're to increase in all those things as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. We're to pursue after these things. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says we are to abound in the work of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 4, talks about how we are to control our body when those sinful temptations come in our way. No, we are to have our body under control. And is it possible to do any of these things apart from Christ? No. That's why it's God working in us. But it's not me just sitting back, relaxing, saying, I can just put it in cruise control and I'm good. No, we're to fight sin. We're to flee sin. We're to pursue righteousness. We're supposed to fight the good fight. This is effort that we are supposed to put forward if we are to run the race well with endurance, the race that is set before us. And if we want to pursue Christ-likeness aggressively, if we want to run this race well, if there is something that causes us to hold back from that, we need to ditch it as quick as we can. Point number one, go ahead and write this down. Remove distractions from pursuing maximal holiness. You need to remove distractions from pursuing maximal holiness. Those distractions are described for us in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Those weights and those sins that cling so closely that hold us back in the race, the Christian life that we are to walk in growing in Christ. Think about it. If I told you, all right, get in your car. I need you to get as fast as you can from here to the spectrum. Fastest one. Let's all get in there. I mean, like, my car's not going to make it very far. Oh, 04 Honda Civic. So I'm definitely going to win. No, probably not going to win. But you get in your car, and if I said, like, act like your life depends on it. Like, drive as fast as you can. I bet you do some things differently than you would do when you're just going to drive your way home tonight. Maybe if you drive your way home tonight, you'll take it casually, take it slow. Maybe you'll be a little tired. If I'm saying, no, drive as fast as you can, you're going to be alert. You're going to be ready. 
You're not going to be like brushing your hair, looking in the rear of your mirror. You know, like some people like to eat snacks. You're not going to be like eating snacks as you're, as you're going along. You're not going to be, oh, like look at those people walking on this side of the road. That's kind of funny. Or look at the billboards up on the... No, you're going to say, I don't care about all these other things that are trying to grab my attention. My goal is to get from here to the spectrum as fast as possible. Let's do it. Any distractions, I'm going to get rid of. When it comes to us pursuing Christ-likeness, when it comes to us saying, God, you want me to obey your word, follow the example of Christ. If there are things holding us back from that, we need to eliminate those things in our life. Weight and sin is what Hebrews 12 verse 1 talks about. These two categories of things that can hold us back from pursuing holiness like we should. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 talk about the sins that can hold us back. It says this, 1 John 2, 15, says that we are to not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We're not to be caught up with the desires of our flesh. As Christians, yes, we have these new desires, but we still have our sinful flesh that wants us to do the wrong thing. And we are called to fight against those things. What are the sins in our life that are holding us back from pursuing holiness like we ought to? We're given... Couple categories in First John chapter two: the desires of the flesh. It's this love of self, love of whatever I want to do, whatever feels good to me. That's what I'm going to do. Maybe for you, what's holding you back from pursuing Christ and being like Him is is laziness. Well, I don't I don't feel like getting up and reading the Bible this morning. I'll just leave it for another time. Oh well, I I, I don't I don't feel like serving in this way. You know. I, kind of got a lot on my plate. I don't need to serve the church. What are these sins that are holding us back? Is it laziness? Is your body dictating the things that you do or are you having self-control in your life? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24, and furthermore, talking about the race of the Christian life, says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Rather than our sinful flesh dictating what we do, we need to keep our body under control. If our sinful flesh says, hey, you don't need to pursue Christ. You don't need to live out the commands that scripture has called us to do. You don't need to do that. You don't feel like doing that. It's all good. Just relax. No, we got to aggressively go after that. Keep our body under control. Other things that First John chapter 2 talks about, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, Whatever looks good to us. Love of stuff. Is our, is our pursuit of gaining possessions 
here in this life, holding us back from pursuing Christ in his kingdom like we ought to? Are we so concerned about the here and now? I got to get the right job so then I can make a ton of money because I want to be a successful business person. I want to make a ton of money. I want to be powerful. Are we pursuing all these things here at this kingdom? Or are we looking forward to God's kingdom? Matthew 6.20 talks about this. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. Those desires are the eyes that we have, the love of possessions, love of things can hold us back from pursuing Christ and growing in Christ as we ought to. We need to look to build up treasures in heaven and not here on this earth. So it's the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, also the boastful pride of life, this love of status. Whatever promotes myself, maybe pride is something that holds us back from pursuing becoming more like Christ as we ought to. Maybe you've been a Christian for a little while and you've kind of got to this point where you think, oh, I've arrived, I've made it. Becoming stagnant in your walk. Well, that sin needs to be put aside. That sin needs to be removed. Maybe selfishness is the sin in your life. Caring about what you want yourself over what God wants. Maybe boasting is your sin. Always trying to give the praise of where you're at in your walk with Christ and saying, oh, it's all due to me. It's all about myself. And that's hindering you from growing in Christ's likeness because you're not recognizing, no, it's God, the one working in you, boasting. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Whether you can look at your past week Or you can look at your past month and say, I've been pursuing and obeying Christ as I ought to. Don't let that deter you from running even harder this next week. Or if you're on the other camp and you're like, man, this past couple of weeks I've been riddled by sin. I've been given into my sinful flesh and these temptations and I've been distracted, not pursuing Christ's likeness, but pursuing what I want. Don't let the past dictate how you're going to pursue Christ in the future. Don't be so concerned in the past whether it causes you to be too high where Satan wants you to so then he can come and attack your pride and cause you to fall or whether it's getting so down that you don't realize, no, just focus on pursuing Christ well today, living obedient to the commands that he has called us to. How can we pursue holiness now here today? So all these sins that are tempting us, Satan, the ruler of this world, wanting to lure Christians, distract us from our ultimate mission, advancing God's kingdom. Now, are we going to take serious steps to remove those sins? A passage I'm sure so many of you guys know, Mark chapter 9, talks about the severity of how we are to deal with sin. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's the seriousness of how we are to deal with sin. Not say, ah, it's not a big deal that I was selfish last week. It's not a big deal that I gave into to this sin last week. It's not that big of a deal. No, no. If 
It's holding us back from growing in holiness, growing in Christ. We need to take drastic steps to remove it, take extreme steps. There are other people in this room whose entire lives are characterized by the sins that we just discussed. You can't even fight against sin because you don't have the spirit within you. You can't even run the race because you're not even in the race. You can't even think about driving without distractions as you're on this Christian journey. You can't go pedal to the metal because you're too infatuated by your own sin. You don't want to give up your own sin to be all in for Christ. If that's you in this room, you need to get right with God today. Can't even talk about running this race well if you're not even out of the chopping blocks. If you haven't even stepped onto the chopping blocks. Can't do well, need to put your trust in Christ. But after you've done that, what are these sins that are tempting you? That as the writer of Hebrews says, clings so closely. Those sins in our life that, ooh, are enticing to us. They're alluring. Those things that over and over again, oh man, I want to give in to that. We got to say, no, I'm going to remove that from my life. Category one is the sins that we need to get rid of. The other thing are the weights in our life. These things aren't inherently sinful things, but if not careful, oftentimes can be sinful because it distracts us from our main purpose. So many things in our lives today can distract us and pull us away from doing what God wants us to do in his word. So many things. What are some distractions that we face? I think the biggest thing is our phones. 1 John 5.21 says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. For say, how much time was I on my phone this week? Yeah, your phone can be used for a great thing. Are you using it for a great thing or is it actually distracting us with all these other things and not causing us to pursue Christ and obey God's word like we need to? Is it a distraction? What about sports? Is that something that's pulling us away rather than, oh, I need to grow in how I'm going to be more like Christ? Oh, well, I'm just focused on getting the best of the sport and doing these things. Is that distracting us from that? Once again, these things aren't necessarily sinful things, but are they distracting us at all? What about our entertainment? What kind of movies do we consume? What kind of TV shows do we watch? Is it things that are growing us and pushing us in our holiness? Or are they things that are, no, it's actually worthless things that I'm watching. Uh, it's actually things that promote sinful things and causing me to dwell and meditate and think about wrong things. What kind of entertainment? Even if it is not non-sinful things, even if it is, oh, it's, I have the liberty to watch those things. Should we watch it for hours and hours and hours and hours on end? Is that promoting God and his kingdom? Maybe not. We need to evaluate these potential distractions in our lives. Music. Can the music that I listen to distract me from what my mission is here as a Christian? Being an ambassador for God's kingdom. Growing in how he wants me to. Social media. I can speak of this. Twitter, I've got all the time, and I'm just always glued to, oh, man, I want to see what's going on in the world. And oftentimes, I get so glued onto Twitter, and it's like, okay, I just need to t- 
take, take a step. Take a step back. It's distracting me from what I need to be focused on. Yeah, I'm getting news and updates from the world, but hours and hours on end? No, it's, it's a distraction. YouTube, spending hours and hours on end. The video games that we play. Even our jobs can be a distraction against holiness. If you're so consumed and the only thing you think about is, oh man, I just need to do super well in this career. I'm only focused on being the most successful in this that I can be. I'm only focused about that. Who cares about being a great witness for Christ if my job? I'm not concerned about that. Just focused on me and that job. It can be a distraction. Non-Christian friends, people who don't have the same mission as we do as Christians because they haven't been saved. Potential distractions, not just non-Christian friends. How about Christian friends? What? How can Christian friends be a distraction? Christian friends maybe aren't spurring you on like they need to be. Maybe if we're talking about this race and you're running this race and there's people there sitting there on the track and you're having to jump over them because they're not going as hard as they should be. They're not really pursuing Christ. They're saying, yeah, I'm all in for Christ, but not talking about it. Yes, I'm all in. I'm all about God's word. I mean, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to encourage someone. I don't want to push someone on. Can even the Christian friends in our lives be a distraction if they're not running as hard towards Christ as we are? Could be. How about our family? Could our family be a distraction in our lives? Once again, these things aren't inherently sinful things. I mean, most of the things up there are actually really good things, really positive, beneficial things. And the Bible doesn't say not to have these things. Bible gives us the liberty to have those things, but does it mean that we should take that liberty to it? Too often with these things up on the screen, we ask ourselves, well, what's wrong with it? Oh, there's nothing wrong with it, so I'm going to do it. When that's the wrong question that we should be asking. It's not about getting to how close of the line can I get to where I'm still pursuing holiness, but not like crazy pursuing holiness. That's not the question we should be asking. The question we should ask is, Will these things make us a great runner? Will these things help us with all our energy, with all our mind, with all our heart, with all our love, be so devoted to Jesus that nothing will stop us from running maximally quick to finish the race? Is my hobby of sports a hindrance or is it encouraging me to maximally run and love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or is it not? What other things up there are distracting us from it? In terms of running the race, it's not only a matter of quickness, but as the passage in Hebrews 12 says, we're not only supposed to run the race, as 1 Corinthians 9 says, quickly, but also with endurance, the race that is set before us. This perseverance, this determination. You can think of sprinters who get quickly off the chopping blocks and are running fast, but then back half of the race, they teeter off. No, this endurance that keeps going, this endurance that lasts. 
Well, how do we do that? How do we keep this endurance going? Hebrews 12, verse 2, by looking to Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on him. We just talked about all the distractions that the world is causing us to look at all these other things and focus and put our mental focus on all kinds of things. Writer of Hebrews says, no, keep your focus on Jesus. Even verse 3, it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. We need to consider Jesus, think about Jesus, meditate on Jesus and the life that he lived. Point number two, dwell on Jesus's joyful endurance often. We need to dwell, consider, think about how Jesus lived and how did he live. He lived a life of joyful endurance. Can't be something that we just think of once a week. We need to dwell on it often. Look to him as the example because he lived it perfectly. Jumping back to the car analogy, the Christian life is compared less to a short sprint of driving from a car from here to the spectrum and more like a cross-country road trip, taking a road trip together. And if you're taking a road trip with people, and it's a place you've never gone to before, you're probably going to have your GPS up. Maybe if you want to get lost, you'll have Apple Maps up there. Um, or maybe, like, depending on who's in your car, you'll have Apple Maps, and someone else will have Google Maps, and then the other person will have Waze because Waze is superior, I guess. Sorry. I don't think so, but maybe it is. Waze superior? Yeah? No? No, it says no. It's not superior. No. And you've got, like, all these different... Maps of, oh, you should take this route. It's like, oh, no, Google Maps says you could save like two minutes faster by going this way. It's like, well, Waze actually says it's the other way, and you could save 30 minutes if you go this way. And you've got all these different, it's like, all right, well, who should I listen to? Driving on this long road trip, I don't know, which GPS am I supposed to listen to? Imagine how helpful in the car with you is if you had someone who had already done this road trip before. They've already gone through all the stops that you're looking to go to, has already made it to the end, and they're sitting right there, and all you have to do is ask them. All you got to do is, hey, can you show me where to go? Can you lead me, and I'll just follow your directions that you give me? In the Christian life, the Christian race, has to be Christ. We're supposed to look to him. All kinds of people in this world are going to tell us how we are to live the Christian life, all kinds of influences telling us, but what's our focus to be on? On Christ, meditating on him. How did Jesus live? Because he lived a life perfectly. We need to keep him as the forefront of our minds. We need to think of it often. Famous hymn talks about that. The chorus says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. He is the example. He is the forerunner. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who perfectly lived out his faith. Hebrews 11, we had all these examples of people who live their lives well, but did they live it perfectly? No. So many people that we could look at in Hebrews 11 were, they had 
some big mistakes. And if we were to keep our eyes just focused on these people, and we're like, okay, I'm going to live just according to what David did, well, we might fall the same sins that David fell under. If I'm going to live my life, oh, just accordance with how Abraham lived, might fall in the same sins that Abraham fell under. If we keep our eyes focused and fixed on Christ, the one who never sinned, not once. And what should we focus on when looking at Christ? It's a word that's repeated three times in our passage. End of verse one says, let us run the race with endurance. Verse 2, in talking about Christ, it says, Christ, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Consider him, verse 3 says, who endured. We need to focus, and what do I focus as I'm looking at? Let's be motivated by his example of endurance, what Jesus went through. How often do we consider and thoughtfully think about what Christ went through for us, what he endured living on this life. Maybe daily when we do our DBR, maybe weekly when we come to church. How often when we're fighting against sin and sinful temptations do we think of, oh, Jesus endured even when he could have stopped feeling all the pain that he went through for us on the cross, but yet he continued to endure for us. But that would motivate us by copying his example. How did Jesus endure? What did he go through? He went through a lot of difficulty. He went through a lot of pain. And yet he kept going. It's a weird thing to say that he endured through this, but not often talked about enough is he endured the incarnation. We say, oh yeah, it's so humble. And we list all the things that Jesus did in his life. But think about it. Jesus, the God, the creator of the universe, humbling himself, as Philippians 2 talks about it, becoming the form of a servant, becoming one of us, the creator putting on the form of the creature. How humbling. And yet he said, I'm willing to do it for sake of us, that we might be saved. What else? Zooming into the end of his life, what did Jesus endure? He was betrayed. Judas, one of his 12 closest disciples said, I'm going to sell you out. I'm going to give you over. He was arrested unjustly. This huge crowd came, treated him as if he was a transgressor, as if he was a criminal. Arrested. Did he ever do anything wrong? No, he didn't. Yet was arrested wrongly. Didn't do anything wrong. What did he do? He was mocked, made fun of. When he was up there hanging on the cross, oh, look at him able to heal others, able to save others, can't even save himself. He was spit on. Think of how degrading an act that is. I remember one time in the NBA, there was a, a fight that took, out, took place on the court, and it, they didn't find out until later. It's like, well, what caused this fight? It was, I guess someone allegedly spit on someone else, and it was such like a demeaning thing to do. It's like, okay, I can't just sit back and act like it's okay. It's like, no, if, imagine if someone was to come and spit on you. Probably wouldn't be homies with them after that. You'd be like, uh, we, got, we got a problem. We're going to throw hands right now. No, like, they'd be like, it's, it's not good. Like, 
spit on, mocked, derided, abandoned by his disciples. When he was arrested, all of his closest friends said, hey, I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm, I'm afraid. Whoa. I didn't know this is what it meant to follow you, Jesus. I'm out. Crown of thorns on his head. He was whipped. Cat of nine tails. The end of this whip, bone and glass and stone. As it's thrust into his back and ripped out, taking chunks of skin and flesh off of his back that he endured. Carried his own cross. The means by which he, by which he was going to die not only was he placed on the cross, he had to carry it to the place of his death. And as he was put up on the cross, stakes driven into his hands, into his feet. Did that for us. Christ endured. And we can't even fathom even the full depths of what it meant that what Jesus did on the cross. We just sang it. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. I mean, talk about running the race. When we're faced with sin in our lives, how often do we pause and think of what Jesus endured for us? So even though my sinful flesh wants me to do this sinful and wrong thing, I'm going to remember how Christ endured, and so I'm going to say no because that's what God wants me to do. I think if we when faced with the temptation, pondered what Christ endured, that will give us the endurance to not give in to sin. But not only are we to endure, as point number two says, to do it joyfully. In verse two of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, and it says all the things that he endured. For the joy that was set before him, joy. Doesn't seem very much of a reason to be joyful. If we went through that, it'd be hard for us to be joyful. Really, the joy set before him, because he knew even through the pain that he was going for, going through, it ends with him seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because of what it did for us, he was able to endure and have joy through it all because of the end goal, to be joyful. Doesn't seem like it'd be joy for Jesus, but because of what it led to. When it comes to our Christian walk, when it comes to us pursuing Christ's likeness, not only are we to endure, not just the first year that we're a Christian, be excited and all about it, but endure through the entirety of our lives, but also are we people that could be characterized as joyful? Could someone look at you and say, that is a joyful person? Or not? We all often talk about, hey, what's the main quality of a Christian? Love. First John says we're to be loving. By this you know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, Galatians 5, and 23 says, 
Fruit of the Spirit is love, but followed right after love is something we often miss in joy. Are we joyful Christians? Remembering, wow, this is what I deserve because of my sin. But yet Christ endured it for me, and he secured an inheritance in heaven so I don't have to incur the punishment for my sin. What an amazing thing. Are we excited? Are we joyful? Are we happy individuals? Philippians 4.4 describes what we're supposed to do as Christians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, what if I'm going through a difficult thing? What if a hard situation went in my life? We're supposed to be joyful through it all. Does it mean that that thing's not hard? That thing's not difficult? No, absolutely not. It means despite those hard things, we are to be joyful. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In every circumstance to say, I'm content, I'm joyful, I'm thankful. Even through the difficult things, even through the difficult things. Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says, Blessed, happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Really? I'm supposed to be happy when those things happen? Why? Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are we joyful even in the midst of the difficulties that we go through in the Christian life? And as you continue to be a Christian longer, I know even our small group leaders and Pastor PJ, they've got stories of difficulties that they went through that probably even exceed our own. But yet we can be joyful in Christ no matter what comes our way. But so often our joy is taken from us by the frivolous things of this life. What are some things that steal our joy? Work. We can walk away from our job and say, oh, I just can't stand it. It's the worst. And the entire time we're at our jobs just being upset, angry. Is that how the Bible says we're supposed to live out our life? If we're to run this race well, we need to be characterized by joy. What about school, homework? I know it's hard to be joyful in those things. But can we? We can. What if our parents do something that we don't like? Conflict with our parents, with our siblings, with our friends. Something happens here at church and all of a sudden it takes one thing, one small thing for someone to do. And guess what? My day is ruined. All gone. No. Can we be joyful? We need to be joyful. We should be the happiest people because of Christ. And when we say joyful, it's not being naive. It's not like the meme of the dog who's in the fire saying everything is fine. You know that, that meme? It's like, oh, it's, it's all okay, you know? But to an extent, it almost is because even though the fire that's taking place around the dog is like, that's a bad thing. Even if we have these fires and these difficult things in our life, we can look forward to eternity and say, hey, in the big picture, it is okay. It is all part of God's plan for my good to grow me, 
His Christian life to be more like Christ, to grow, be conformed in his image. We can be joyful through it all. In this race that we are running as Christians, we have a goal, increased Christ-likeness. We have a hindrance towards that goal, which is these sins and these weights and these distractions that hold us back. We have an example, which is Christ. But in running the race, we also have a motivation. Beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, mentions that motivation, which are these other great cloud of witnesses, these other believers who have gone before us, who have set the example of what it means like to live lives of faith. And we should be motivated by their example to continue on and to pursue Christ-likeness even greater than we did before. Point number three, be energized by other believers. Be energized. Whether it's looking to people in the Old Testament, how they lived, reading about their example and saying, wow, I can't believe how they lived. I need to model their example. Whether it's people throughout church history, a lot of people who died for their faith, and we look at that and we're like, oh man, that would be so hard. And we're energized, we're motivated by their example. Even the leaders in this room, be energized by their example, by others sitting at this table. I'm, I'm energized by this person sitting across from me because, man, they seem to be on fire for God and living wholeheartedly for him. I'm energized. I'm excited by their example. We need to be energized by other believers. Going back to talking about road trips, when going on a road trip, it's easy to be excited at like the very beginning. It's like, all right, we're off. And then you get like, an hour, two hours in, three hours in, depending on how far you're going, say it's like a 15-hour road trip. It's like no one's gone on a 15-hour road trip. I remember I drove for three days, or my parents drove me, uh, three days straight from here to Ohio. Talk about a fun road trip. And <laughs> three days straight, all right, what about now? Yeah, we're just going to wake up, get in the car, keep driving, sleep, get back up, get in the car, and keep driving. It was tough. It was difficult. Did it twice. I was like, well, why are we doing this twice? And then you got to drive back. So it's three more days back. It's six days of just driving. Ridiculous. Part of my testimony, so I'm kind of grateful in the end, for in the end. But in the, in the moment, you're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, like being as a kid, like, come on, let's go. Easy to be really excited at the beginning. But you know what makes it a little easier when you get to the middle hours? If it's not just you in the car, but you have other people in the car. And maybe if you have the right people in the car, they brought some good snacks. That makes road trips all the better. Got like munchies. Those things are like top notch. Oreos, Pringles, all like the stuff you take a stop at the gas station, but it's like we don't even need to stop at the gas station because I got all this food for me. Not only is someone who's good at getting snacks, someone who knows just the right tunes to play for a car, a car ride, it's like, oh, get, get everyone hyped, you know? You're like, let's go. Like, we can keep going for hours on end. Let's just jam out to some music. They know how to work the music just well. Someone knows how to do that. Also, someone who's entertaining to talk to. Someone who, oh, we'll keep you engaged, keep you going. Say you're uh, driving. It's getting late at night because you're driving three days to Ohio. Um, you're going, driving, and oh, it's getting late at night. You go like this, and because you have a good friend, they go, hey, wake up. Stop doing that. My life's at stake, but also your life's at stake. But, so let's just say I'm just looking out for you. But stay awake. 
Stop doing that. See, having the right people in the car make that road trip all the better if they are the right people. So we need to also be energized by the example that other believers have, whether it's people that have lived before us or the people that, are sur- that we are surrounded with right now. We can look at Hebrews 12, and it talks about this great cloud of witnesses. And oftentimes people think of it, oh, there's these people who have been believers before, and they're up at heaven, and they're looking down at us. And that's what it means by witnesses. They're witnessing how we live. I think the focus of this passage is not them looking down at us, but us looking at them. But let's think for a second if it was them looking down at us. How would that energize us? Think of a professional athlete competing in some sort of event. And say you're, say on the Olympic team, and you're a track runner. And right before you're about to get off the chopping blocks, you look over and you see out in the stands, I don't know, I don't know track runners, so let's say it's Usain Bolt right there. Usain Bolt, wow. Man, dude, that guy was fast. I think I could beat him, but um, no. <laughs> it's like, dude, that guy was speedy. Like, oh man, he's here watching I need to run like all the more. I need to definitely get first place in this. And that motivation from other people watching us. So even though the crux of it is, you can see how that could be a motivation. But also us looking mainly to their example, how they, how they lived, should motivate us. A couple passage, passages that talk about that. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Paul writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Imitate me as I follow Christ's example. Yes, we're, we're looking to him, but I'm doing a pretty fine job of following his example. I'll imitate me. Are there people in our lives that we could say, I am imitating this person as they imitate Christ? People who aren't in the same level of us when it comes to spiritual maturity, but people that are more mature than us in the faith, where it could say, I am following them as they follow Christ. Think about Pastor PJ. I think that's something, someone that we're all trying to imitate as Pastor PJ follows Christ. Think of your small group leaders. We're imitating them as they imitate Christ. What about other Christians? Maybe it's other people in your small groups who are more spiritually mature than you say, oh man, I want to follow their example, follow their lead. More mature friends, we need this. We need this discipleship in our lives. Someone who we can meet up with, who we can glean, we can ask questions from. Hey man, I see you're doing this really well and I want to do that better. I want to better follow Christ in this area. How, how could you direct me? How could you lead me in that? Do we have people in our minds where it's not just, oh, just see them every once in a while and we talk and chum it up about whatever we're on? No, I'm intentionally reaching out to this person so that I can learn from their example and how they pursue Christ. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Walk according to their example. Follow them. We can get in this mindset where this individualistic culture that we live in where it's just us by ourselves. Oh, I'm the only Christian who went through this. I'm the only person who's experiencing this difficulty. I'm only the only person who's dealing with this sin 
and battling it. No. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He provide a way of escape. Maybe that way of escape is someone in your life who was battled against that sin and could give you counsel on how to fight against it. Who are the people that are investing into us that we can say, I'm trying to follow them. But on the flip side, who are we investing in? Are we merely, when we come to the bridge, consumers saying, what can I get out of it? What can I glean from my leader? What can I glean from Pastor PJ? Or is it, how can I encourage someone to run the race better than they have before? To pursue Christ more? To live out his word more excellently? Who am I investing in? Who am I pushing? Oftentimes we can say, oh, I just need someone to talk to me. Someone to do this. Well, how about we start, go the other way and say, I need to talk to someone. Who can I push? Be refreshing in the life of someone else. Like the goodness of a cold drink in the blistering summer day, how refreshing that is. How can we be refreshing, energizing in the lives of other people here in this ministry, at this church, and other people go to other churches, believers following Christ? How can we energize other believers? We need to make sure that we have people who are pushing us, but also make sure that we are pushing other people. So how are you doing in pursuing Christ-likeness? Are you going slow, taking your time, on cruise control, sitting in the back seat, saying, ah, oh, take it as it comes, or you engage? You're going quick, you focused, you all in. How can I grow this week? How does God want me to fight this sin? How can I put off this sin? How can I learn from other people? Are we aggressive? And the culture keeps pushing back on us. The world that we live in keeps wanting to divert us. Almost like if we're driving a car and some person's like trying to always crash into us the entire time. It's like, stop. Get out of my way. It's like this culture that keeps wanting to combat us. How will we continue to endure when the culture continues to heat up towards Christians? Will we continue to endure? Will we keep going? Will we go further on? Or will we say, I'm out? You need to endure and copy Jesus' example. In the song that we sang earlier, and we're going to sing here in a second, called Christ Be Magnified, the bridge really sums up the attitude that we should have when it comes to standing with Christ and pursuing to be more like him. The bridge says this, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Can that be the cry of our lives to be continually magnifying Christ even better than we have before day in and day out? Let's pray.
God, we praise you and thank you for your grace and your kindness in opening up our eyes to seeing our need for you. And that now that we have been saved, justified, declared right in your sight, you have set forward good works for us to walk in as we pursue Christ's likeness to be more like your son. Help us not to be distracted by the things of this world, not distracted by sin, not to be distracted even by things that might inherently be good, but pull away our focus from where it needs to be. Help us to look to Christ, keep our eyes set on him, and help us to run even better than we have this past week, pushing each other, encouraging each other, even now as we talk about it more in small groups. Help the cry of our lives to be to praise you continually and evermore. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.